Welcome to the Cookery by the Book podcast with me, Susie Chase. Hi, this is Patricia Wells. My latest book, my 15th, is called My Master Recipes, 165 Recipes to Inspire Confidence in the Kitchen with dozens of variations. I hope you love it. You're a journalist, author, teacher, former New York Times reporter, restaurant critic. You've won numerous awards, have cooking schools in Paris and Provence, and now home cooks can be trained by you in their own kitchens with My Master Recipes. Talk a little bit about how this cookbook will give us confidence in the kitchen by mastering simple techniques. Okay, after cooking, after teaching cooking classes for 25 years or more, um, I would watch my students, I would listen to them, and it occurred to me, even though, you know, the majority of them are from very simple to very, very talented home cooks, or not at all, depends, but most of them, I would say, are pretty average good home cooks, they love food, and so on. And I would watch them, and they would have no idea, you know, like why they were blanching something or why they were steaming something or how to poach. And so it occurred to me that these were things that other cooks might want to learn. And they're not complex techniques, but they're simple techniques. And once you understand, for instance, why you're blanching something, then you can go crazy with blanching other things. And it's just those simple, I mean, they're simple, but they're important. The other element is that people would walk in the door the first day and they'd look me in the eye and they'd say, I don't bake. And it's so interesting, the number of people who love to cook, but baking is, I don't know, you know, measuring is too complicated for them. They like to just go with the flow. And so I make sure in each class that, Everybody does some baking, whether they like it or not. No, but they always find that it's it's easy. Of course, one of my rules, as you've as sure as you read the book, is mise en place, meaning everything in its place, meaning weighing and measuring and having everything out on the tray that you're going to do. And one of the things I always say is that when your kitchen's a mess, it's because it's, I mean when you're when you're nervous in the kitchen. It's because your kitchen is a pig pen. And so the neater your kitchen, probably the better your results will be. So those things all are in this book, in My Master Recipes, so that the home cook can can become more confident. And that's the other thing that at the end of the week, we always, on the after the last meal, the last bite, we go around and we vote for the best taste of the week and also take home what people are going to take home from the week. And often people will say, I'm just more confident in the kitchen. I was looking at your cooking school schedule, and it seems like this cookbook mirrors your lessons. Well, it does. It does very, very much. And I try to um, include as many of these techniques. The other thing is is deep frying. People, they'll say, I don't deep fry. I think it has such a bad rap as being heavy, fatty, so on and so forth. But if you do it properly, and, you know, today with equipment, you can buy a, I don't know, $75 little baby fryer and do everything with it. And, you know, put in a, a quart of oil and cook easy things that taste delicious and don't add a lot of fat to your dish. 
What's your favorite so, thing to cook in a deep fryer? Actually, it's not in the book, but I just started doing it. Was the um, well? Actually, no. We lo- I love squid. I love deep fried squid. I love doing um, oysters. It's very funny, you know. In America, um, breaded oy- fried oysters are very common, and it's funny because France is a country of oysters, and they don't do that very much. So I often serve it for our French friends because they say, oh, wow, this is all brand new. Um, so I think that's probably one of my favorites or like tiny, tiny little, little, little fish for deep, you know, friture, deep frying. Um, but I've also been doing um, artichoke bottoms, fresh artichoke bottoms, which is kind of the Roman Jewish area of Rome where they do this all the time. And it is so delicious. But the other, one of my favorite recipes in the book are, are the um, cold fry frites, where you start the French fries, you start the fries in room temperature oil, and you, you deep fry them in, in a, like a cast iron pan, and they're remarkable. I mean, I would never go back to classic French fries ever again. And we've tested and tested and retested. Unfortunately, my husband always says, don't you need to retest that recipe one more time? (laughs) Meaning, hey, come on, couldn't you make that again? (laughs) So it's 1976, and Walter Wells hires you at the New York Times. You subsequently hit it off. And then Walter is offered a job to move to Paris for the International Herald Tribune. Now, at that point, had you ever been to Paris? Was Paris on your radar? We had both been to Paris, um, but not together. And um, we had actually, when we got married, we talked about going to Paris to get married. And um, it just didn't seem, it was too complicated, so we didn't. And, the, the I mean, the, the interesting thing about doing the Paris trip, I mean, first of all, growing up very young, knowing about wanted to be a journalist, and finally getting to the top of the heap at the New York Times. When we had the decision to move to Paris, I had to give up my job with the Times. So that was a little, you know, a little bit difficult. But, I, you know, I was young enough and naive enough. I thought, well, you know, either they'll take me back or they won't. At that time, you, if you left the Times, you left for good. We just figured we'd make it, you know, it'd be okay that we would come to Paris for two years. That was 37 years ago. (laughs) Uh, And we would just have a good time. I mean, have a good time working. And, you know, one thing led to the other and we just never came back. How did your two cooking schools get started in Paris and Provence? Well, one of my very first assignments, uh, when when we moved to Paris, I wrote a lot at that time, not just for the Times, but for travel and leisure, food and wine, so on. And one of my first assignments was to cover, I can't believe this, all of the cooking schools in Europe. And so I went to, most of them at that time were in Italy. There were Marcello Hazan, Giuliano Bugiali, there was one in Sorrento. Um, I can't remember where else I went. And um, I thought this was pretty cool, you know. And I think over a period of time, you know, writing books and doing my freelance, I just, you know, I just felt it wasn't paying the rent. And um, so I thought, well, why don't we try cooking school? Because we had this lovely house in Provence, and it, you know, seemed to, it still seems a shame not to share it with a lot of people. 
So we thought, well, maybe nobody will come and maybe we won't like it, but let's try. So we tried two weeks in September, I can't remember what year it was. And they filled up and we loved it. And we're still great friends with the people who, who came. And we just continued it. And then when we bought um, my office studio in Paris, we continued them there. And it's been great. I love it. It's stimulating. It's challenging. And, you know, you know, if you're a lawyer, all your friends are lawyers. If you're a doctor, all your friends are doctors. But this, we have just this wide range of people who come from, you know, all walks of life. And I would say that if I named our 100 best friends in the U.S., they would all be, a majority of them would be our students. Can you talk about your passion for French agriculture a little bit? Oh, you know, it's it's so great. It's just, in fact, this morning we went to, to visit our winemaker because we're working on a new label. And he's just such a um, out there guy, always trying new things. And his son, which I'm, I'm not a person to be envious, but his son, who's, I don't know, in his 20s, he spent like this four-year program, winemaking program, working in vineyards around the world. I mean, right now he's in Australia and New Zealand, and then he's been in Spain. He's been all over France. He's been in Port- I mean, to be able to do that and then join your dad in this wonderful winemaking project, um, I think is really great. Just so inspiring. Um, today, all of his crew was out in our vineyard, you know, planting new vines where things might have died and, and pruning. And, you know, it's so, I think it's so important to be right there in the soil watching things. Like we have our honeybees and our honey and you know, when it's too cold, the honeybees, you know, stay in their little boxes. But in January and February, when we have our truffle classes, we put all these plants out um, to kind of perk up, you know, and the rather, rather, you know, not colorful scenery. And the second we put them out, all the bees came out and they're buzzing around. I'm thinking, wow, you know, we're really giving them something <laughs> to eat. Um, plus birds. I mean, when we moved here 34 years ago in Provence, there were no birds, and we couldn't figure out why. And, well, part of it, because the vineyard had been sprayed a lot with the previous winemaker, and there just weren't the plants around to attract birds. And now it's like living in a bird sanctuary. When you live in the city, you, you're not always aware of how important it is to have all of these insects and birds and, and so on that, that kind of keep our ecosystem together. We're living in an era where people have so much more awareness and um, people who care for the ecology are, are hopefully being rewarded. You've discussed the fact that cooks tend to use a knife or pan that's too small. Talk yes. about the importance of the right implement for the task at hand. It is. You know, I, I see people and, you know, on certain things, I always try to put out the pan that's going to be used, but not always. And I see them using, I don't know if it's a question of economy or just not thinking ahead. Um, I do it, it all it, the time. And you I do, think it's you do because, the same thing? Yes, I think it's because the smallest bowl is on the top and you turn around and you reach for the bowl and you pull it down and you're in a hurry and then you, you think this bowl's too darn small, but I'm going to fit it all in. (laughs) 
I find myself doing it from time to time too. Or you know, if you're if you're transferring something to a container, like to put in the refrigerator, I try to eyeball it and think, okay, which size do I use? And most <laughs> of the time, I'm I'm pretty right. <laughs> um, but you know, it it really is important. You can't just squish you know four lamb chops in a six inch skillet. And it's not always that bigger is better, but for a lot of things, you know, bigger space really, really is important. How many times do you test a recipe and you test with your students? Rarely, maybe once or twice. I'll say, oh, we saw this in the market and let's play with it. But I don't like to do that because, you know, I feel I'm wasting their time if there's a failure. You know, they're here to to have success. And that's really important. I mean, when there's a failure in the kitchen in a class, I'm devastated. And, um, I have to say, most of the time, it's not my fault. People don't read recipes sometimes. or But I try to do everything to make it as totally successful as it can possibly be. I have heard students say, I never make the same thing twice. Well, how do you learn to play the piano? Practice, 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 practice. That's a good point. I mean, if I make something once, it's only because I don't like it or it's a disaster or... You know, I'm very much for simple dishes, and I'll just say that was much more work than it's worth for the end flavor. One of the big problems is all of the availability of so many recipes everywhere that people think they don't need to make something twice. But, I mean, I once read, this was some years ago, that the average American family has 10 recipes. Well, my mother, she was a great cook, but, you know, Monday night was pork chops Tuesday night with meatloaf. Yep. And, um, but that's okay. I mean, that's what she knew how to do. It wasn't her life's work, and she knew what the budget could take. So I, I kind of admire that, even though I hate pork chops and meatloaf, but <laughs> <laughs> to this day. See? <laughs> <laughs> but she made a mean pizza and pasta and cakes and cookies. <laughs> so I took my little boy to Washington, D.C. in January, and we saw Julia Child's kitchen in the yes. Smithsonian. It was so homey. I could have stood there all day and stared at it. I, I know. I've seen it. It's amazing. I know you have one of Julia's ovens. Do you still use it? So- Yes, yes, yes. We have her La Cornu that she bought in the 60s when she built her house in Provence. And it is a museum piece in that sense, but I cannot believe how she tested, for instance, all her recipes in it because it's very small. The oven is really tiny. And, um, you know, God bless her. Um, and she, you know, she called it a four burner, but it was, it's really two burners with one of the, with the French color coup de food where, you know, you can put several things on, the, on a, a top at the same time. But I've always found it not real practical unless you're just used to using that every day, every day. What color is it? But it's white. It's white. Okay. And, you know, it's interesting. It's a La Cornu. And it was, I think she told me, or maybe the La Cornu people told me, it was the last year that they made white. Of course, now they make every color. But, you know, for years it was just black. And that the black was to be the professional look. And uh, it's adorable. On Saturday night, I made your recipe for roasted lemon and thyme chicken from page uh-huh. 205. I hope you enjoyed it. Yes, it was so moist. 
I posted pictures on Twitter and Instagram, and I have so much respect for food photographers and food stylists. Oh, my God. You know, when I look at the stuff out there today, I mean, you know, like you look at the New York Times, they have not just a food stylist, but a they have a prop stylist and a prop. I mean, they have like four people working on it and there are experts, you know, it's hard. It's really, really hard work. I know. (laughs) (laughs) If you aren't able to get to Patricia's cooking schools in Paris or Provence, you're in luck. Home cooks can learn from the master with my master recipes. Thank you so much, Patricia, for coming on cookery by the book podcast. Susie, it's been fabulous. Great to chat, and I hope I'll see you next time I'm in New York.